We want you to be our pastor. You need to be our pastor. And with a twinkle in my eye, I looked at him and I said, are you out of your mind? You heard me preach one time and you think I qualify as an elder? Then I made this statement. You don't know how I love my wife. They kind of looked at me. Now, now I want to bring these two things together. I want to submit to you that much of what we do is so cosmetic. It's not the quality of your body is not seen here tonight. The quality of your body is seen in your home. And if the homes took seriously the need, the men, to be right with God, we would see revival break out. The hardest thing on the face of the earth is the one thing, sir, that you've been called to be. And that is a godly husband. And to lead your wife and your children in the things of God. Much of what is done in the church is nothing more than plan B. In the same way that we understand from sociologists, political scientists, that much of what pertains to the family, the family has relegated to government. In the same way, much of what God requires of a man in his household, that man has relegated to the church. The man is the priest of his home. His greatest concern should be on the face of the earth is to please God in his home. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And if it's taken seriously, it would bring such a revival as we would not be able to contain. Let's go to Romans 8. Verse 28. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. When it comes to family and it comes to marriage, this verse doesn't often come to mind, and yet I have found that it is the very basis of everything that has to do with marriage. Everything. We read today, what is marriage about? Marriage is to represent the relationship between Christ and His church. Yes, that's true. Although it is always so imperfect. Marriage is to be, in so many popular books, a little bliss of heaven. Marriage is to be me meeting her needs and her meeting my needs and so on and so forth. And I want to tell you that although some of them might have some credibility, some of these things might have credibility, that is not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, well, let me put it this way, marriage has the same purpose of everything else in life. That through marriage, sir, because I'm going to talk to the gentleman tonight, 
the purpose of marriage, the great sunum bonum, the final purpose of marriage, the reason why you are married is that through your marriage you might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of marriage. Now first of all, I want to look at some things. Number one, the sovereignty of God. I find it amazing that often when that term comes up, it is only used with regard to salvation. But the sovereignty of God is to encompass every aspect of our life. Many of you married, and when you married, you thought to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? I've married the wrong person. Why did you think you married the wrong person? This one demonic word. Compatibility. You thought you were supposed to marry someone who was compatible. As a matter of fact, there are dating services all over now and they claim to be able to find you someone compatible. In doing so, what they're actually doing is warring against the plan of God. You either thought you missed God's will or that God messed up or something happened because you married someone with whom you are not compatible. Now let's say something else about the sovereignty of God, just for a moment. The basis of my marriage is the sovereignty of God. And it is this. I have been called of God with an irrevocable calling to lay down my life for a certain daughter of His. That is the basis of my marriage. Now that's not all that my marriage is, but this is the basis of my marriage. So many times I'll have young men come to me and they'll say, you know, I want to get married. And I'll say, okay, tell me about it. Why do you want to marry this girl? Well, she's absolutely beautiful and she, we get along together and we can talk and we share so much. And, and he goes on and I say, okay, let me see if I understand you. You want to marry this girl because she meets all your selfish, self-centered needs. Is that what you're telling me? He says, no, that's not what I mean. I said, but young man, that's what you said. You want to be with her because she's beautiful. What happens when she's not beautiful anymore or someone else comes along who is more beautiful than she? You say that you can get along. What happens when you don't get along or someone comes along with whom you can get along better? You can talk. What happens when you can't talk? I'll tell you what happens. What most people do. You leave. Or... You live independently of her for the rest of your life. You kind of shrug your shoulders and say, well, I didn't get the right one, but I'm not going to divorce, so I'm going to spend my life just living in misery. Cut off from her, and she cut off from me. For the sake of the children, of course. Reputation is important. It's what God wants. Well, God does hate divorce, but that's not what God wants. You've missed the purpose for which you have been called to marry. Now, if, though, I believe that the call to marriage is based on the sovereignty of God, and God is never wrong, and He's in all things, and if I believe that the purpose of marriage is my conformity to the image of Christ, then my marriage will not only be strong, it will be happy. It will be happy 
Not because my wife responds, it will be happy because I know I'm in the very center of God's will. First of all, the irrevocable calling. I have been called just in the same way that I've been called into the ministry. I have been called into the ministry. I have a mantle upon me if I have been called. I can't walk away from this at all. It constrains me. It controls me. The callings, the gifts of God are irrevocable. Well, in the same way, God has sent down to me an irrevocable calling to do what? To lay down my life for this daughter of His. A specific daughter. Not two daughters, not three daughters, not four. One daughter. Now, if I lay down my life in service to her, and she responds in kind, glory to God, if I lay down my life to her and she does not respond in kind, where am I going? Absolutely nowhere. I'm in the very center of God's will. If she is beautiful, wonderful, I'm not going anywhere. If she is tragically deformed in an accident, I'm not going anywhere. Why? I was never in this for her beauty to start off with. I was always in it for the call of God upon my life. Marriage is an opportunity to die. You say, what a terrible definition of marriage. Not if you believe the words of Jesus Christ, which most people don't. It's the one who loses his life that gains it. And the one who keeps it that loses it. You see, we twist everything around so eventually it's all for us. The Gospels straighten that out. You do not find joy in getting everything your way. You find joy in giving away according to the will of God. And so many men need to hear that because they think they married the wrong person and therefore they just live the rest of their life like this. Their marriage has no meaning. They have doubts. They have dreams in the night. Their mind wanders to other relationships they possibly could have had. Instead of recognizing, here is the sovereignty of God for my life. Here is the will of God for my life. And here is the way in which I am going to become most happy, most joyful in the Lord. It is by laying down my life for this person. Another thing that is very, very important, extremely important, Marriage is not about what you get. It's about what you give. And marriage has its eye on eternity. What do I mean by that? Most people do not want to be like Jesus. Now that's just the truth. And most people who have prayed, Lord, make me like Jesus sooner or later begin to think they've made a terrible mistake in praying that prayer. To be like Jesus will require such workings of God in your life. 
To be like Jesus, what does it mean? What does it truly mean to be like Jesus? When we get up here and sing about Jesus, we mostly do not sing about His wrath. We mostly do not sing about His judgment. We mostly do not sing about Him coming back and the great captains of the world crying out for rocks to fall upon them. When we sing about Jesus Christ, what do we sing about? We sing about these three things primarily. Unconditional love, mercy, and grace. When God says that the purpose of everything He does is to make you like Jesus, what He is teaching is this. Everything He does, He does so that you will learn and reflect unconditional love, mercy, and grace to the person closest to you. And why do I say that? For the same reason I had a young person come to me one time and said they, they wanted to be a missionary in China because they just love the Chinese and all I could think about is the Chinese and they love the Chinese so much and I said to them, the only reason you love Chinese is because you don't know any of them. It's easy to love someone 10,000 miles away. But to love someone who becomes one with you who's in the same sack of life with you. And to be like Jesus before them. You have no idea whether I'm conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or not. I could be the biggest deceiver on the face of the earth. You don't know me. Follow me home and you'll know whether or not I know God. See me with my wife, and you'll know. Any fool can preach. A donkey can be raised up to speak. Rocks can cry out. But the goal of God in our lives is to make us like Jesus. And He will do absolutely anything. Most people today want to be happy. Temporally happy and not eternally holy. They want to be comfortable. They don't want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And yet that's the very purpose of your marriage. God, sir, has given you a wife with this one purpose. That through that woman and your relationship with her, you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of your marriage. Now, let me say this. God gave you a wife who is strong in the areas where she must be strong so that you are not tempted beyond what you can bear. But I want to submit to you tonight something quite unusual. God has given you a wife. He has orchestrated giving you a wife that is weak in many of the areas where you want her to be strong. He has purposely given you a wife that is not compatible with you in some of the areas where you most want her to be compatible with you. He's given you a wife that doesn't meet all your conditions. And the reason why He's given you a wife that does not meet all your conditions is so that you will be able to learn to love 
unconditionally. You see, in a perfect world, one of the reasons for the fall, the ordination of the fall, I believe, is simply this. Without the fall, you could never know God in His fullness. Because you could never know unconditional love in a place where everyone meets the conditions. You could never know grace and mercy where it is not needed. What I want you to understand is this. Sometimes, some of you have married and you've thought, gosh, I've married the wrong person. We're incompatible. We don't get along. This is just completely different than what I thought. And you either run away from her or you seek to manipulate her and then finally you give up and you just sit in a corner and that's your marriage the rest of your life. I've done enough counseling to know that what I'm saying is true. And you don't recognize that this whole thing has been orchestrated by God to do one thing in your life. To teach you to be like Christ. To love someone who doesn't meet all the conditions. And to show mercy to a person in the same way that you have been shown mercy by God. And to be gracious and to pour favor out on a person who sometimes you don't feel like deserves what you're giving. Now, ladies, let me say this. Please understand. I'm not being prejudiced here. I could turn this around just as easily. You've been given a husband, definitely, who does not meet all the conditions. But then again... I'm going after your husband tonight, not you. So you see, the first question that you need to ask in your marriage is, what is my greatest goal? If my greatest goal is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and if I recognize that these incompatibilities between us are orchestrated by God for that very purpose, then things begin to change. There is meaning and purpose in this marriage. God has orchestrated it. No matter how wrong it was in getting into it, God has orchestrated it with one purpose, to make you conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Yes, dear friend, He loves you that much. It's full of meaning. It's full of reason. Now, I want us to go to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23. For the husband is head of the wife. What does that mean? He is to function in a role of leadership. Do you lead your wife? Or is she basically on her own? Have you delegated authority and maybe split up your life half and half where she just kind of runs out here over in this pasture and you run over in this pasture? Or do you lead your wife? Are you actively involved in leading her? Now, ask, answer that question. Are you? Or have you just led her off to herself? You see, that's what we do. We have a wife, yet we're not involved in leading 
We have children, and yet we're not involved in teaching. We delegate that to the church. And gentlemen, we think that we've accomplished stuff just because we've brought home the bacon. Gentlemen, if you work 12 hours a day to provide a home and clothing and food, and you get home at the end of the day, your work has just begun. That's what it means to be a man. I'm sorry. And it probably means that most of the toys and most of the things you have fun with and most of your good buddies are going to have to go away. Because your obedience to Christ does not come down to simply you provide for your family. And don't ever believe the lie that you work so hard just because you want to give your children everything you didn't have. It's the things you didn't have that made you the man you are today. And you were not called to give your children the things you never had. You're called to give them a dad and your wife a husband. Are you leading your wife? Now here's the next question. How are you leading your wife? There's two models. Rome and Jerusalem. Nero and Jesus. I hear all these men talk about, I'm the head of my home. What kind of head are you? Dragons have heads. Demons have heads. Pigs have heads. Worms and snakes have heads. What kind of head are you? There's only two possibilities. There is Jesus Christ and there is Caesar. Caesar is all about Caesar. Make no mistake. Caesar leads everyone else only for the benefit of Caesar. Everyone is an extension of Caesar and everything Caesar does, every decision he makes is to satisfy self. The leadership of Christ is not so. Although He is God, and although He fully recognized His authority, on that one time when it is mentioned, knowing from where He came, and knowing where He was going, He took a towel, and He washed the disciples' feet. Does He lead? Yes, He leads. For whom? For the benefit of those whom He leads. It's all about them. The media guys, we sang a song, The Power of the Cross. Can you flip it up there? I'll keep speaking. Just try to get it up there for me. Nero leads for self. It's all about self. It's all about him. Jesus Christ leads for his bride. Every decision, every bit of leadership, every direction, everything he does, the only thing he's thinking about is the eternal joy of his spouse. Now, I want you to see two different things that are very, very important. One is, men in the name of being loving, they don't lead. I've always thought it amazing that men say, I'm not going to obey Jesus because I'm just too loving. It's like a church that says, we're not going to practice church discipline because we're just too loving. You're so loving, you're not going to obey Jesus Christ in Matthew 18? My, my, how superior your love is to the one who died on the tree for you. 
Men say, oh, well, you know, you know, it's just kind of, we're just equals and I don't lead and because you know I'm loving. No, Jesus said, be loving and in loving, lead. And how are you to lead? For the benefit of the one you love. Now, how can you lead? Gentlemen, the only way you can lead your wife is according to the Scriptures. That means every man in this church, his greatest responsibility is to be in the Word. You cannot lead your wife unless you are a scholar. You must get into the Bible. And you must lead according to its dictates. You have no authority whatsoever except the authority of the commands of God. You have authority to lead your wife for her eternal joy, for the glory of God. You do not have the right to make decisions and lead for you. That's what leaders do. Real leaders. They go down with the ship. They're the first to cross enemy lines. They lead into battle. Everything is about them leading for the benefit of the one they love. And the only way to do that, the only way to know how to lead your family is for you to be in Scripture. It is one thing for you to deny Scripture. It is one thing for you to neglect Scripture just because you really don't care that much about you. But when you take on a wife and you take on children and you neglect Scripture, you're killing everybody. You're like a man. We say this in Peru. You're like a man going down the Amazon River in a speedboat filled up with dynamite, drunk and blind at night with his entire family in the boat. When you try to lead a family, I can guarantee you something. If you're leading your family, but not getting in the Word of God to figure out how that's to be done, you're probably leading your family selfishly. Even though you may not even know it. The only way we can lead is to the degree that we submit to Jesus Christ. So first of all, like I was telling the young men an hour or so ago, I said, you know what most of you need to do? You need to go to the elders of your church. You need to go to the leaders of this church if you're in it. And you need to hold them accountable. And you need to say this. Look, we're a group of men. Our dads never We're a group of young men. Our dads never taught us what it meant to be men. So we want to get a bunch of men in this church together to start teaching us how to really be men. But the only way that can be done is if the men are knowledgeable of Scripture and fearing Lord, fearing the Lord. We're called to lead. Go on to the next. Uh, go on to the next. 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 Nope, skipped one. <laughs> it's either before it or after it. There, stop. Son of God, slain for us, what a love, what a cost. 
Brother, could your wife and your children stand up tonight having observed your life And would they say, my husband, my dad, who died for us, he gave every bit of his life for us. He poured himself up, out for us. What a love, what a cost. Could your wife stand up and say, this husband of mine has literally poured himself Self out unto death in service to me and to his children. And I am again not talking about giving them a big house, two SUVs, and, and Izod sweaters to wear, whatever they wear nowadays. I'm talking about in love, companionship, personal leadership, time, play, work, everything. Would they stand up and say, that dad of mine, he gave His life that I might know Christ. He gave His life that I might understand Scripture. He gave His life that I might have someone to play with even when He was wore out. He cut Himself off from everything. Even a lot of the things He enjoyed, He threw it away just so He could die for this family. Husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. How, how, is, how, has, how does Christ lead with such mercy, with such love? How many times? Remember what I taught last night? How many times me, I, Paul Washer, how many times have I failed him? How many times have I been a heel? How many times have I stood against him? How many times have I opposed him? How many times have I been smart alecky? How many times have I not appreciated anything he's done for me? And then come back and expect sooner or later he's going to have a rod in his hand, but he never does. It's just love. The leadership we're to give our wives. You know, most people have this wrong idea, most Christians, that the first thing they see when they look in the face of Jesus will be disappointment or anger or a scowl or something. No, the first thing you will see when, believer, if you're truly a believer, the first thing you'll see when you take a look at the face of Jesus Christ will be so much love that you would have to be supernaturally strengthened or it would drive you insane. All right, men. How often do we use manipulation and disappointment to manipulate our wives? Let them know you failed me. Let them know. Gosh. If this is not about giving her what she deserves, if it is, then you have to go to hell. You see. You know the thing about blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. The logical opposite of that is the unmerciful get no mercy. This is not about giving her what she deserves. This is about being like Jesus Christ. That every time you fail, you come in here on Sundays and you sing about, oh, what a Savior I have because I fail so miserably. And yet every time I look at Him, He loves me. Okay? Now, 
You go do the same. Do you see how it works? When she turns around and she knows she's blown it. She turns around, she knows she's failed. She turns around and she knows she's messed up. She hadn't cleaned the house. She's been lazy, whatever. And she turns around and she sees love. That breaks the heart far more than anything else. And she sees love. And she sees service. And she sees blessing to lead like Jesus Christ leads. And then he goes on and he says, He Himself being Savior of the body. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of yourself as your wife's Savior? Because that's what he's saying here. Now, we all know there's one Savior. We know that. Jesus Christ put away sin. No one else. But look what he's saying. He's saying, husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being Savior of the body. Have you ever seen yourself, sir, as being her Savior? Not her judge. Not the one disappointed, but her Savior. Her deliverer. You can always tell how godly a man is. Just look at his wife. If she's caved in, drawn up, beaten down, ashamed, you can pretty much tell what kind of husband she's got. If she's flowering and growing and prospering, and developing, and changing, and becoming like Christ, and experiencing more freedom, and tell what kind of husband she's got. Have you ever taken it upon yourself in prayer? Lord, teach me what it means to be a head like Christ. And teach me how to be a Savior. Not a con Do you know, you know, people get so... They're just so wrong about preachers. Now, yes, some preachers are heretics and they're liars and they're deceivers. But what I want you to understand is even the most sincere men who stand before you are just men. And I, I'm so amazed at so many times when, when I, just, I just think almost, gosh, I just need to be condemned. I just... some. I mean... He just can't keep being this kind to me. He just can't keep being this kind of a Savior. I stand in awe. Don't we sing that? We stand in awe of His mercy. We can't figure it out. Your wife ought to be doing the same thing, and so should mine. She should literally be dumbfounded. How could anybody love anybody? this much. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. Michael Card came out with a song years ago. I love Michael Card and, and a Gomer song. And I can't quote it exactly, but it's talking about his relationship with his wife who was a prostitute. And it says that when she turns around and looks at him, it says, the kindness of a father, the passion of a child... It's what she sees in his face. The tenderness of a loving friend, 
an understanding smile, all of this and so much more you lavished on a faithless whore. I've never known love like this before. Hosea, you're a fool. Your wife, my wife ought to almost look at us and go, he's got to be a fool to love me like this. I just, I almost wish he wouldn't love me like this. It just, how could anybody love somebody this much? Well, see how far away. I don't know about you guys. Don't think that I'm up here going, man, this guy really knows marriage. No, I'm about to cry. Do you see how easy it is? Man, that guy, that guy follows Jesus. Why? Because I got a big mouth and I'm not afraid of people? Doesn't mean follow Jesus. That's following Jesus, what I just said. You say, man, if you acted that way, she would run all over you. Well, when Christ act that, acts that way with you, and you say, great, I'm going to live in sin, you're lost and going to hell. The evidence that you're a real Christian is when Christ acts that way with you, it so breaks your heart, you want to be better. You're never going to change your wife. You're never going to help your wife by manipulating her. And you got about a, if you're like me, you've got about a million ways of doing that. And don't think you're sneaking them in. She knows every one of them. For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ also is head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. In Jude, we have a commandment, and it says, keep yourself in the love of God. Some people twist that and say, you need to love God with all your heart. That's not what it means. Keep yourself in the love of God means this. Doesn't mean you've got to work so that God will love you. It's kind of like, let me give you, I don't know anything about plants, but let's say you've got a problem with your plant. It's all withered up and it's, it's ugly and it doesn't have any flowers on it. And you come to me and say, Brother Paul, can you look at my plant? I say, well, I can look at it. I don't know what I'll be able to tell you, but yeah, I'll go look at it. So I go in there. Okay, where's your plant? I go out on the patio. It's not there. I go to the top of your house. It's not there. Where's your plant? Oh, it's in here. You got it in the closet in the basement. And I said, through my many years of agriculture, I think I figured out what your problem is. You need to keep the plant in the sunshine. Because if you don't keep the plant in the sunshine, it's going to continue looking like this. To keep yourself in the love of God is to keep yourself believing, keep yourself in the reality, keep yourself in the truth, the awareness that God loves you as much as He says He does. You've got to constantly be... No one does this, but I really recommend doing it. You should be constantly studying the Scripture just to be able to believe how much He loves you. And when you do that, you will flourish as a Christian. Works the same way with your wife. Most of all, men use disappointment to try to get their wife to change. Let her know she disappointed you. No, I'm all right. Don't worry. Just something. And we think that if we, if we show her we're disappointed enough, 
She'll go ahead and do what we want. No. Your love for her ought to be so intense that she can keep herself in it and grow. Now, verse 25, you say, Brother Paul, you're skipping 24 about being subject. Well, this is not about wives. This is about you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. God never tells a minister to do that for the church. God never tells an itinerant evangelist to do that for the church. He never tells me to lay down my life for the church. He doesn't tell me to lay down my life for the ministry. He doesn't tell me to lay down my life for lost souls. He tells me to lay down my life for my wife. Just think about that. Sometimes people use the church as a means of escaping from their responsibilities in their home. And since we all equate spirituality with how much you do in the church, that works out just fine. Sir, you're to lay down your life for your wife. And if you don't do that, you don't qualify for anything in the church. What does the world need to see? Men loving their wives, wives respecting their husbands, and no generation gap between the children and the parents. A real biblical family. That's what they need to see. And is it hard? Hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Matter of fact, it's impossible. Apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, it's absolutely impossible. I have, and this is not a lie, decided that I have really one goal in life. My goal is to love my wife. And I have, comparing that task to every other thing given to me in the ministry, I have figured this thing out. If I can accomplish that, everything else will fall in place. Now, let me get rid of the Batman and Robin mentality, especially for some of you guys who are going to go in the ministry, you younger guys, and you're marrying, and you're all psyched up about the marriage. I did this, and I was so wrong, and I hurt my wife by doing it. I did. I hurt her. I was all gung-ho about ministry. You know, die for Christ. It's going to be the apostle to the Andes. And if I marry, she's going to be like Robin. I'm going to be Batman. And we're going to stand side by side. And we're going to go into this. And us together, we're going to... One day, after a few years, my wife is very intelligent. Very, she's just got an ability to do a lot of things. But one day, after several years, of kind of saying... You know, honey, you need to teach this Bible study. And honey, you need to do this. And, and honey, you know, why aren't you using your gifts? She came into the room after my typical day of trying to manipulate her. And she started crying. 
And she said, the only thing I want to be is your wife. I, I don't want to be a Bible teacher. And I don't... She goes, I don't even see in the Bible where women are supposed to be running around doing that anyways. It says older women are to teach younger women how to love their husbands. She goes, I just want to be your wife. And if God gives us children, I just I want to be their mother. Is that okay? Is that enough? It's not about a Batman and Robin team. It's about a family. If you want a Batman and Robin team, go, you know, find another missionary guy who wants to be single and just, you know, go go do your thing. But that's not why you get married. You get married because she's going to be your wife. And it says here, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. In Peru, man, you talk about romantics. Those guys in Peru are romantics. Para ti, mujer, yo escalaría las montañas de los Andes. Para ti, para ti, mujer, yo pelearía contra los ejércitos más grandes. What they're saying is this. <laughs> it's good, isn't it? That's okay. What they're saying is this. For you, honey, I would run across the Andes in my underwear. <laughs> For you, honey, I would fight any manner of army. And she's going, but what I want you to do is wash the dishes. <laughs> no. You see, here's the thing. You want to serve your wife in all the things you want to serve her in. Have you ever asked her what she wants you to serve her in? Do you see? Laying down your life is not serving her according to the way you think she ought to be served. It's according to the way... She desires to be served. Now let me stop here because we really need to be careful. We need to be biblical. Your wife may tell you to serve her in a way that's not biblical. So you don't do everything your wife says. But you listen to everything your wife says and you sit down with your wife in the Scriptures and everything that she does say that's biblical, you do it. It's a whole new way of looking at the world. Most guys marry their mom. Do you realize that? I mean, it sounds kind of really weird. But it's like marry someone to do all these things. Because mom's been doing them all my life. And I need someone else to do all these things. To be a man of God in the family will absolutely wear you out. Because you get home after eight, nine, ten hours work, you're tired, regroup in the car. That's the only thing I can tell you. Because when you get home, it's time to serve. It's time to serve your wife first and your children second. Not your children first and your wife second. Now let me share with you something. It's a very strong illustration. It will offend some of you, but let me share this with you. If I'm in a boat 
with my wife and my two boys that I love so much. And the, I'm the only one who can swim. And that boat begins to sink. And I can only save one. I'm saving my wife. Not my children. And if my wife is in that boat and she's the only one who can swim, she should save me. And you say, well, I just never, I know you never, but listen, it's true. Now I'm going to share something with you that's going to make you really mad. Okay? That's why I'm getting down here and he's near that door right there. <laughs> Keep her open, brother. And it's not going to be the men, it's going to be the gray-haired little old ladies with the horn-rimmed glasses that are going to get me right now. You ever heard the saying, there's nothing like a mother's love? It's not true. The Bible says there's nothing like a father's love, number one. But I want you to hear something. Listen to me really well. Some women and some men love their children more than their spouse. And this is the reason. It's parasitic. It's parasitic. What do I mean? The children mean everything to that woman because all the tenderness and all the emotion and all the love that she should be getting from her husband and she is not. She is getting it from her children. Because her husband is not meeting all those needs, then little boys and little girls have to be the ones who do it. Do you understand me? Some of you are so tied to your children. Why? Because they haven't treated you like your husband. Everything is your children, my children. I'm a mother. It's children, children, children. That's not biblical. Even though, yes, as a couple, we should lay down our lives for our children, you need to understand something, men. It is not the job of the children to meet the emotional needs of the wife. It is the job of the husband. So that someday when those little boys go off married with some other woman, your wife doesn't turn into the meanest mother-in-law this side of the Antichrist. Because someone took her source of love, her source of comfort, her source that she depended on because her husband wasn't there. You see? Do you see? Being Christ-like means a lot more than just studying theology and being bold. It is a death to self, but a beautiful, wonderful thing. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. And by the way, the best thing I could ever do for those two boys of mine and the other one that's on the way is love their mother more than any other human being on the face of the earth. Why? This is the reason. One, my little boys who live in a world that offers no peace, it offers no shelter, it offers no security, nothing. 
But when those two little boys see their daddy walk in the door and go straight for their mother and lavish upon their mother love, those two little boys go, Daddy's not going anywhere. This house is like a rock. This is secure. And, gentlemen, listen to me. It's very important. A lot of you got some two, you got not headed boys just like I do. You're not too worried about them, but you worry a lot about your daughter, don't you? You need to set such an example in loving your daughter's mother that when some idiot Yahoo comes along with flippy little moosed up hair and and more things or bracelets on than you ever have seen on a girl and wants to take her for a ride, she's going to look at him and go, you have got to be kidding me. I know what a man looks like and you're not one. And she's not going to get into some relationship with some guy who just, just, just... But if, if you treat her mother in a way that is disconnected, in a way that leaves her abandoned, if you treat her mother in a way that the mother has to go and get what she needs from her children, your daughter's going to look and say, that's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Do you see... Uh, now, I just want to share... This is true. I really struggle in all these areas. Maybe that's why I have insight into them. It's taken... It takes me so long to figure anything out. I failed in a lot of things I'm saying. I don't want to stand up here and be a hypocrite. But gentlemen, have you ever wondered, said to yourself, man, I just can't figure out why the Holy Spirit just doesn't fall on this church. Do you see maybe now all the ways that we're in sin and we didn't even know it? My people perish for a lack of knowledge. You see, when you begin to really look at the Scripture and open it up, it begins to open you up. And you start seeing sins in your life that you didn't even know were there. And there is beginning to tell you why we're not seeing the great move of the Holy Spirit. And why isn't God just coming down? And maybe we all have a lot more sin in our life than we ever even imagined. Because we take everyone else as our standard instead of taking the Bible as our standard. Or we read a passage a hundred times, but we never really know what it's saying. Now I'm going to finish up with this the one part because I'm, it, you know, we can't... I mean, just there's so much here. But, but look at this. In verse 25, it says that Christ gave Himself up for the church. In verse 26, so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Let me put it this way. If you're married to your wife for over 10 years and she's not pleasing to you, it's your fault. 
See what Christ is doing here? He not only calls His bride, but then He begins to work sanctifying her with the Word, washing her with the Word, transforming her, changing her, so that He can present her before Himself spotless. Husbands, you don't just get a wife and then leave her over there and say, okay, grow. Be conformed to the image of Christ. I could say something right now, but really, the Holy Spirit's restraining my tongue. There's something I really want to say and I know I can't. You can't just put her over there and leave her by herself and just say, grow. And you're not to conform her to your image. We don't need another one like you. You don't manipulate her. You don't be legalistic and sit down and have these long Bible studies and then tell her to repent because you cannot teach anything that's not in your own life because primarily she's going to learn by following. Do you know how when people have been together for like 25 years, it's scary, they look just alike? I mean, there's the man, the woman, and the dog. They all look alike. Well, that's more than physical. It's also spiritual. It's also spiritual. She's not pleasing to you. My question is, how much have you invested in her? Now, same way with children. Do you know most dads never talk to their children about morality except when the kid has broken a rule? Don't invest hardly anything in the child. Relegate him to to Sunday school teachers and school teachers and this and that and not invest anything and then be tragically disappointed in Him. But what did you invest in Him? What did you invest in Him? What did you invest in her? What did you invest in your family? And guys, look at this. Some of you are thinking, well, he's just some you know, city guy and he ain't got anything to do. And he just... Saturday, I'm going to be in a deer stand. Got it all planned out. And if I could be in a deer stand and have a fishing pole hanging off the deer stand at the same time, probably do it. But you know, I can't go very much because I have two boys and I have a wife. You want to go all the time? Fine, go. But don't have a wife and don't have little boys. Now, one day, I'm really going to got it made because the little boys are going to want to hunt, and then it's just fabulous. <laughs> Honey, I really don't want to go hunting, but i got to go with the little boys. <laughs> but the thing about it is, here's the thing. If you serve your wife, if you truly serve her, and you make those sacrifices, no, guys, I'm not going. i got something planned with my family. I guarantee it, sooner or later, your wife will say, Honey, you need to go hunting. And I say, And, and do I need to go, to go buy Cabela's first? <laughs> if you serve her, she will recognize it. But you are to serve her and to serve your children that they might become, not conform to your image, but become what Jesus Christ wants them to become. And then... It says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Do you nourish and cherish 
your wife, would she even, if, if someone said, okay, describe how your husband nourishes and cherishes you. You see, guys, we have bought into this idea if we put a roof over their head and clothes on their body and we just treat them decently, we're good husbands. And women, let me say this. Men have it hard today. And if you want to go to the mall all the time, and you want to buy things all the time, and you want nice cars all the time, and nice houses that are really big and stuff like that, then leave your husband alone when he doesn't have any time to nourish and cherish you. Works both ways. Isn't it better to live in a little hut somewhere with love? You're not happy. You're not any happier than all the poor people. You just have more to worry about. Things consume your life. Now, nourish and cherish. I do not need for my wife to call me three times a day and say, Honey, I love you. I don't. Because the Bible never commands in this passage my wife to love me, even though she should. That's not the point here. But does command her to respect me. It's what it commands. Why? Because as a man, ladies, listen to me. Everybody in the world can write blogs against me and it doesn't bother me that much. If my wife doesn't respect me, I'm destroyed. Your husband needs your respect. It's what he needs. He will literally be cut down to size if you do not respect him. You do not honor him. You will not get a man. You'll cut him down and reduce him to nothing. He needs respect. But gentlemen, your wife needs love. And she needs to be nourished. And she needs to be cherished. I know we're in some younger company here, but let me just say something, gentlemen. If the only time you hug and embrace your wife is before sex, you're making her feel really low. Used. Bad. She wants you to hold her hand. She wants you to... And I've talked to some old people and they say, it doesn't change when you get 84. You still want to be hugged. And you still, they still want to be told, you're beautiful. And they still want, they want all those things. You say, well, I don't need them. That's because you're a man. You're supposed to kill bear with your bare hands and eat them raw and stuff. She's not like that. <laughs> she wants to be loved. She wants you to go to the store with her and pick out a dress. I know it's the most horrible thing you've ever been through in your life. <laughs> my leg. I don't know what's wrong with my left leg. I mean, I can stand in Cabela's for like 14 hours. And my leg is okay. She takes me to pick out a dress and no sooner do I stand there by the circle with all the dresses in them than my leg starts going like this and trying to get out of the store. 
But that means something to her. She wants to do that. She wants to go to restaurants where they put silly plants all over your plate. She wants that kind of stuff. See, your problem is you think she wants what you want. She doesn't want anything you want. So what do you do? You pray for God to give you sensitivity and then you do something that doesn't require a whole lot of spirituality. You sit down with her and say, what do you want? I can't know unless you tell me. And that's in every aspect of your marriage. What do you want? And then you look at it with Scripture together. Is this biblical what you want? You see, a lot of times that, really, that, that car that you can't afford, that house that you can't afford, and all those things that keep you working, your slaves to debt, and all these things, but that again is another week of lectures. And you can't do what you're supposed to do, which is live. Live and love. Now I'm going to talk about romance for just a moment. When I taught on this, they called me Dr. Love in Romania. I was teaching on this in Romania, and in the end, they called me Dr. Love. That's one title I never thought I would get. Guys come to my office all the time, and they say, I don't love her anymore. It's gone. There's There's no fire. There's no, you know, my heart doesn't beat really fast. And, and, you know, there's just no, there's no romance. There's no nothing. I just don't love her anymore. And I said, well, repent. And they said, what do you mean repent? I said, repent. Is romance good? Yeah, it's good. It's really good. God gave it. It's good. Romance is good. Where does every good and perfect gift come from? God. What is the only thing that can stop a good and perfect gift from coming from God? Sin. Yours. Why don't you have romance in your life anymore? Why don't you have feelings for her anymore? Because of sin in your life. And what is the sin? Conditional love. See, what you're saying is this. If I had those feelings for her, then I would serve her and do all the things that she wanted. And God's saying, if you'll serve her and do all the things that she wants that are biblical, I'll give you romance. Do you see the difference? Because there's a big one. There's a big one. You serve them. You want a better husband? Serve him. Respect him. Even when he doesn't deserve it, which is be most of the time. You want a better wife? Lay your life down for. And then you go, well, I've been doing that for like three weeks and it hasn't worked. Then you don't even understand what we've been saying. (laughs) You don't do it because of the response. You do it in obedience. Now, I know I've gone on too long. I'm going to close. But guys, the, the whole point is I go around the country and it's like, I think some people think I carry revival around in my pocket or something. You know, come and preach to... Look... 
here's the problem. The bride of Christ, the true church, because of a lack of knowledge in some of these areas like this, some of you are like, your eyes are wide open tonight. You go, I never realized I was so much wrong. It's getting in the Word, finding out how not right you are, repenting, and that doesn't mean repenting and okay, now we're going to do it. No, repenting and struggling and reading the Word and fellowshipping together as a body. Men should be coming together going, you know, I just, I need... You know, I need to be held accountable. I need to be encouraged. I need to be strengthened that I might go out there and I might be the husband I ought to be. I might be the father I ought to be because this is the most important thing God's given me. It's not make everything right with a touch of a button. It's recognize this is sin, repent of it, and begin to fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this unusual time. And I pray, Lord, that somehow You would use it. In Jesus' name. Amen. But truth be known, who are we, the church? We are the bride of Christ. So let's sing about our husband. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary You, the perfect Holy One Crushed your Son Who drank the bitter cup Reserved for me Your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Let's sing the first verse again. The mystery of the cross I cannot comprehend. The agonies of Calvary. 
you the perfect holy one crushed your son who drank the bitter cup reserved for me and your blood has washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. By your perfect sacrifice, I've been brought near. Your enemy you've made your friend Pouring out the riches of your glorious grace Your mercy and your kindness know no end And your blood has washed away my sin Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Lover of my soul, I want to live for you. Lover of my soul, I want to washed away my sin Jesus thank you the Father's wrath completely satisfied Jesus thank you once your enemy now seated at your table Jesus thank you Because your blood has washed away my sin, Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, 
Now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. To see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. 